Do you remember um, as a kid what it was like to be on summer vacation? Some of you like, yeah, I, I am a kid. So, so remember getting up and um, just being excited about the day? Now, maybe your mom had chores. My mom said, you got to get your chores done. And we would just drag our feet on the chores but, um, before you go outside and play. But, you know, imagine your first thought is getting up. I'm going to go and play today. Remember, uh, I was in elementary school and I was coming home from uh, school. And it was the last day of school. And I was looking forward to summer vacation. And I was with my friends. I don't know if I was trying to impress them or whatever. But I was screaming my lungs out. It's down the street, Elsinore Lane in Crystal Lake, Illinois, just screaming my lungs out, school's out! You know, this is before the Alice Cooper song came, school's out forever. So I was just pre-Alice pre Cooper. Anyway, I was singing top of my lungs, school's out. I was so excited um, that I had this sense of expectancy about life. It was so fun. Today I'm going to be discussing um, uh, from Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1. Living expectantly, living expectantly. The Bible call the Bible word for this is is hope. To live with a sense of hope is to live expectantly. To get up and just be excited about life. What gets you up in the morning? This was a question a friend of mine asked me if, quite a few years ago when um, I was in a real slump. It was a good question for me because. I had lost motivation, and I was in a slump. And he said, what gets you up in the morning? And I'm going, yeah, what is it? What gets me moving? What gets it up in the morning? What is it? I had lost this sense of expectancy, this, this excitement about life. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Peter, specifically first Peter. Peter was uh, a great example of how to live with expectancy, especially in a very uncertain and insecure world that we live in. So the overall theme will be First Peter, living in an uncertain world. Um, that's what we're going to be focusing on. But today, specifically, we'll talk about living with expectancy. Living with expectancy. Peter was a great example of this. Peter uh, lived with Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, firsthand encounter with all the things that Jesus did. Most likely, he helped uh, dictate the book of Mark. So when you look at the book of Mark, it's really the gospel of Peter. It's probably given to Mark. And he wrote two, uh, left us a legacy of two letters, first and second Peter. He left it to a church. He was one of the, you know, the movers and shakers of the early church. He left these two letters to the church when they were going through very uncertain times. They were being persecuted. And not too uh, long afterwards, some of them be We'd be, be uh, paraded into the Colosseum at Rome and killed. So you can imagine these early Christians picking up First or Second Peter and just just absorbing them. And when the when the world was coming unglued around them, they were just pouring over First and Second Peter. What is he saying? How do we live? How do we navigate? How do how do we deal with this world that's so uncertain and often antagonistic and even at that time persecuting them? The thing is, the main idea today is Christian expectancy is tied to our eternity. Christian expectancy is tied to our eternity. I'm going to have Jody come up here and read a scripture. This is 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. It's the 
uh, New Living Version. So I'm going to have her read this. Let's pay attention because when I read Scripture, I think this is the word of the Lord to me. So this today is the word of the Lord to us. So let's just follow along in the screen as Jody reads this morning. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day and for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. But when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Thank you. Yeah. Your expectancy, Christian expectancy, is tied to your eternity, and that's exactly what Peter is bringing out through this scripture. Notice that he begins with praise. I praise God for, I praise God for what God, what Jesus has done for us because of all he done. And and he unpacks that a little bit for us to live by praise instead of complaint is the first step to living expectantly to live by praise instead of complaint. Sometimes our default gets to complain, right? Instead of praising God. Did you ever have someone say to you, you ever, maybe you heard, I've heard this, uh, people say, hey, how's it going? And they go, well, good as can be expected. Did anybody ever hear that? Well, it's good as can be expected. Or just uh, just uh, one step at a time, just making it through life. And I thought, what a low sense of expectancy. I mean, maybe they're trying to be a little humble there, but it's like, or that's just the kind of colloquial way of just referring back to people that they don't know. But, wow, what a what a way to... What an outlook. Yeah, well, we're just trudging along, barely getting along. That's the opposite of praise. Praise, it's good for your soul. Praise is when we honor God for where God, honor is due because we recognize all that he's done for us. Life is not about everything you do. It's not about all the chores you do. It's, it's far more. It's to begin to praise him. First of all, I, you know, life is not about all the chores you do. Now, some of you um, are like me. You have a mental list going on in your head right now of things that you need to do. How many have those lists? Some of you are falling asleep, but you probably still have them, right? You have those lists. You have those voices in your head that are always saying the next thing you have to do. Today, as I pulled into town, um, their sign came up over the highway, and uh, it, it said, uh, Distracted driving law is in effect today, by the way. So if they catch you, so and so if you're listening to the voice on your on your phone as you as you drive into town, uh, you could get a get a ticket. If they knew the voices that are in my head, they'd be pulling me over all the time. 
because I've always got this mental list. I said, yeah, I'm not talking on my phone, but I'm very distracted by the other things that are voices that are going on in my head all the time. This, uh, many of you know that uh, we've been in a transition. We sold our house back last year. Last year, well, last year. And um, we transitioned to looking for a house for quite a few years, months, not years. And uh, we finally landed one, so we got a house that's one story. Praise God for a one-story house. And um, But we're living with my mother-in-law, and she's got a two-story house. And I said, your house is in severe need of paint. This is on my list. And I said, I'll paint your house. So I'm up there, Tom, on the, on the second story, looking up at her two-story house and going, how am I going to paint this thing? How am I going to paint this two-story house? And um, I saw on her roof that there was a little hook up there that you can hook a safety harness to. So I said, well, that's cool. I figured out how to do that. And then uh, I, I decided I was going to, how do you put a paint bucket up on a roof? Anybody ever wonder how to do that? Well, if I discovered how not to do it the first time I put a paint tray up there. What a mess. So I was uh, I was pr- actually praying about it. I was saying, Lord, I want to help my mother-in-law. She can't afford to get this painted. Just help me. Help me do this to-do list. So I I went to, like, McClendon's, and, and I was looking at all these little things. How can I get a paint thing up there? And I couldn't find a way to do it. So I came home, and I said, I don't know, God. <laughs> And I was looking through a box that my, we had of uh, where my mother-in-law had a sink, uh, and I pulled out a piece of cardboard that was the exact shape and configuration that I needed. And I thought, will this be able to hold a paint tray? So I put it up on the roof, and it didn't slide down. Then I put my paint bucket on top of it, and it didn't slide down. And I used that the entire time I was up there. I believe, you might not. You might differ with me. I believe that God answered my prayer because I didn't know how to do this sucker, you know. But I have my to-do lists every day. So you might not wake up, as my friend said, what gets you up every morning? It may be your to-do list. And those are important, but they're not the most important thing. Living to um, entertain myself might also be a thing that kind of gets me moving. Because... Um, Some of us in this room, you know you're guilty of this, that every little moment that you have margin in your life, you're you're entertaining yourself on some kind of media or book or something. You're just always on. And that's what keeps you moving. And I would suggest to you maybe give yourself a little margin without that in there. Uh, Living with expectancies is not about um, entertaining myself, although sometimes at the end of the day I'm tired, right? You're all tired. And you're, you're not really watching TV. You're just clicking through the channels, hoping, hoping, God, there's got to be something good on TV. And it, but, you know, the, the other thing that can kind of demotivate us, we don't, we don't live um, by the problems we have in our, in our life, right? We don't, some, what sometimes ruins the sense of expectancy in our lives is because we get overwhelmed by the things that are above. Uh, uh, the obstacles in our life. And else can be predominant. You can wake up going, oh, God, you know I've got this thing that I need to overcome. Praise lifts your spirits above those things. Praise often to a, a secular person, a person who's not a believer, seems counterintuitive. And it probably will seem counterintuitive to you sometimes, too. Because you've got your list, or you've got your problems, you've got ways you're entertaining yourself. Praise is how 
Paul or uh, Peter begins this. And I believe that praise prepares us to live expectancy with expectancy. If we don't learn this gift of praising God for all he's done, life just becomes a chore, just becomes a thing we go through with a routine. We do our thing. We, do, we lose our sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Praise lifts us up above that. Many, many years ago, gosh, it must be 30, 40 years ago, there was a song called Praise the Lord by a group cutting edge at the time called the Imperials. And there was a, a lead singer, his name was Russ Tapp. And they penned these words, although the music might be um, dated, at the time it was, it was contemporary worship music. And, uh, and though you may never have heard the group, listen to this. This is exactly what we should do when we're facing difficulties in our life. <clears throat> listen to this. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes. And you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears. Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord. For a God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you. Serve only to remind you they drop powerless behind you when you praise the Lord. Another verse says, hey, Satan's a liar. And he wants to make you think that you're just a pauper when he knows that you are a children of the king. Praise the Lord. There is a God who's worth praising. There's a God that will help you live with expectancy. But you must begin with praise as Peter did. Praise lifts us up and sets us up to live with a more hopeful, expectant way of life. What does he praise God for? He says, I praise God because of his great mercy, we have been born again. Born again. You've heard the expression, born again Christians. It's not a political party. It's not a certain brand of Christians. Some people might have made that. But at the very inception, Jesus and Paul, uh, Peter are saying that there's something that has to happen within us that will get us excited about living for Jesus with a sense of expectancy. You didn't birth yourself. Now, some parents say, well, my child doesn't want to be born yet. But really, the child had nothing to do with being born. It was all the mom. The mom, through much pain and labor, birthed the child, right? You just showed up. In a similar way, Jesus makes it clear. It says, you have to be born again. You, you, you are all born physically. But spiritually, you don't birth yourself. You don't really make yourself a Christian. It's some of God has to work within you. Christianity is, is not just a set of beliefs, check, 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 check. It's not about being part of an organization. It's about God doing something within us. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's about God doing something within us? A man came to Jesus and he wondered about eternal life. How do I have it? His name was Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, well, you, you can't make it happen. You can't make yourself a religious person to please God. There's nothing you can do. That's not very pleasing to a guy whose whole life was a list of religious duties. He said, God has to do it. You have to be born again. This really puzzled Nicodemus. How can I do that? It's of God. It's not of you. Our life with God begins when God brings something new and fresh in our life. It's something of his Holy Spirit. 
You see, when we follow Jesus, we don't make ourselves spiritual. We open up our heart to receive what he's already given. This is a past thing. You have been born again when you're a Christian. You have new or born anew or born from above. You already have when you're a Christian. This is what God says about you. This is in your past. This is what God has done. And Paul or Peter, excuse me, is, is reminding them of what to live expectantly about. God has done something fresh and new in you. And it comes from his Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Humans can produce only human life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. This is in uh, John chapter 3. Don't be surprised when I say you have to be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind. We can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't really explain how people are born in the spirit. This gets Peter to Peter's big idea that I like that we're sharing today. He says we are to live. We live with great expectation because of what Jesus did. Living expectantly. It's a, expect something good from God that's happening, that he's already that he's in the past has done and will do in the future. It's one version say it's a living hope with with Jesus. The future is always bright. It's not based on my circumstances. My circumstances go up and down. If my if, if, if my living expectancy, my sense of hope and purpose in life is linked to my circumstances, they're going to be up and down and up and down all the time. You have a, the Bible says that this is a more sure and steadfast hope. It's steadfast. Nothing can stop this sense of expectancy that God has already given you. You have hope with God. And because he's already given you hope, then you can have hope. It's not just an emotion, because some days you don't feel very hopeful, right? Some days you don't feel very expectant about what's going to happen today. It's, it's not based on it. It's based on the fact of what God is already doing. We respond to this great hope with God, because God is at work, birthing something new. He says, well, what is this? What is this thing that we expect? He calls it. Our inheritance. The future is our inheritance. What is an inheritance? Inheritance is a family thing, right? Right? So some old person in Saudi Arabia could have a million dollars and they could die, but they're not going to give it to me. I'm not related to them. It's a family thing. You're born into this family, and once you have this family, you have a birthright. Birthright that supersedes the circumstances of this life. Some people are into studying their ancestry, you know, the genealogy thing. They, they look back and they try to figure out all, all the people they're related to, perhaps because we've forgotten the history of our lives and we don't know who we're related to. The Bible is replete with people that did, you know, the lineage of Jesus. Uh, they, when when uh, people talk about God, they say God of a of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would have this lineage thing, and people discover. Imagine if you were doing that, and you discovered that you were related to some rich king or queen in England. And not only related, that you saw that there was an inheritance for anybody who was related to this king or queen, and you had millions of dollars that were just sitting in a bank waiting for you. Would you get excited about that? Would you get excited about that? 
Some of you that are very reserved people and very cautious about anything exuberant, if you inherited a couple million dollars, I think I would see some sense of excitement and expectancy about your life. You might be the person, yeah, I don't want to get too excited about God and church, you know, because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. By the way, you just won $2 million. What? Oh, sorry. Lost my composure there. That's what it is that God has given to you. A great inheritance that nothing on this earth can decay or take away from you. It's more rich and more solid than anything in this world. This can be uh, difficult in our world where we're driving, going to work, we're going through our routines. And, and to say that our sense of expectancy is tied to our eternity. Because sometimes eternity or heaven seems like another place. I don't want to think about that. When I was a kid in church, they would tell me, if you accept Jesus into your life, when you die, you can go to heaven. First of all, when you're eight, you're not thinking about dying. And I don't even know where heaven is. I don't even know what it's all these angels floating around somewhere. And I just rather go outside and play. I want to play outside. So sometimes, even for us who are Christians, when we talk about eternity and we talk about that, that, that this is the, what it, it can excite you, we can, we can lose focus because everything else seems so now. But imagine that all that God has for you is like a great reveal when someone uh, has just redone a house. You've seen it on TV. Somebody reconfigures a house and they make it this beautiful thing and they cover up the old house and then they pull it back and then the, the new house is behind there. Yesterday I was watching this with my mother-in-law and they were just about to do the reveal to show the beautiful new house. And I said, I like the old one better. She just laughed. But everybody, when they do, what do they do? Without fail, those people go, oh, my house. I believe someday when we see all that God has for us in the future, we already we have been born again. That's the past part that we can live expectantly about the future. If we could understand really all that God has been doing and is doing for us, when we finally see the big reveal, we will go, what was I stewing about? Why was I so involved with the nitty picky small things of this life when I had this great inheritance with God? That no matter, Christians have found this sense of hope or expectancy when they've gone through the most difficult times because this world doesn't define me. I have a future hope that defines my attitude now. It makes a difference now, but it's because of my future hope I have expectancy, a sense of this priceless salvation that I have. I believe everybody lives for something probably bigger than themselves. Some people live for honor, for notoriety, something heroic that they do, something meaningful that they can point to and say, look what I did. Some people live for their relationships and their family, and those are important. Some people live because they just want to express themselves, maybe in some artistic way. Those are all good. But for Christians, our sense of expectancy supersedes all of those. Our big idea is to put our hope in God. Peter's expression of expectation is no sanitized view of the world. He's not saying, hey, I'm going through a tough time there, buddy. Buck it up, get up, and just put on a smiley face and face the world. 
Peter is saying this to people who are facing the most difficult things. Now imagine most of us in this room do not have the intensity or the problems that Peter's talking about. But we have stuff that are that can interfere with this sense of hope. If Peter can have it, and it's not this clean, perfect world, and he can have this sense of expectancy, cannot we, with our little problems, cannot we have that sense also? Hopeful despite all the things that have happened. And then he says, what is the result? What is that? What is the result of the sense of expectancy that he wants to have give us? He says these words, inexpressible joy. And I know what it looks like to express joy. But because we have something with God, this everlasting relationship with him, right now we have joy that we cannot even know how to express. Does that define you? Does that define me? Inexpressible joy. I love being around um, new believers, new Christians. We had a whole row of him here a couple weeks ago. They're all new believers, by the way, that had just recently given their life to Jesus. And their enthusiasm was just contagious. I hope I never get to a point, you know, and I, I meet someone who's a new Christian and say, there, there, calm down, you'll get over this. I hope I never get to a point like you just need to get uh, like medium like the rest of us. I'm hoping that instead they put a little bit of fire in me. They have. They cannot contain it. They don't even know how to express it. They have an inexpressible joy. And I'm praying for me that when, when I want to live with expectancy, that I don't lose that. I don't lose that sense of enthusiasm. I wonder if the church has lost that. We've been so used to and everything's so predictable. We've lost some of that inexpressible joy. I mean, wouldn't you love it? People go, what's with him? And, you know, everybody else is when you say, hey, you know, uh, how's your day? Everybody else saying, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, keeping on, keeping on and just uh, going through the motions and, you know, and you go, hey, you're doing great. Oh, wow. You, you must have no problems. Oh, no, no, no. I've got something that's more exciting than, than anything in this world that keeps me motivated, no matter the circumstances. That keeps me joyful. My grandmother, which my kids had never met, um, it was a uh, uh, an old German crusty woman. That was how I viewed her as a little kid, because she was always telling us to, she was she wasn't that way. She was always telling us what to do, you know. And we were lazy, and my mom was doing all the work, and so all I heard was, "Why don't you help your mother?" And she was right. But the one thing about her in general, that's the way we viewed her as a kid, but in general, she really had a sense of buoyancy about her, a joyfulness. She would be the person that put ice down your back. She'd be the person at 80 years old playing uh, uh, softball out with, in the front yard with us. She would be the person that would, would uh, cackle, as my parents said, when she win at cards. And um, she did not have an easy life, but people would remark to her, man, you are such a joyful person. You must... Things must be going well for you. Under the surface, she had a husband who was not very nice to her, gambled away their, her, all their money with six kids. Financially, they didn't know how they were going to survive. What was it about my grandmother that gave her this sense of inexpressible joy? It sure wasn't her circumstances. It was her relationship with God. 
that she knew what it meant to have some of God living within her, that this life doesn't define everything for me. Our sense of expectancy is always tied to our eternity. Is your eternity a little bit vague? And you've lost that sense of where God's taking you? Or maybe even another question, do you really understand that this Christian thing is not just a bunch of stuff we go through, that it's something of God has to work? I cannot create this kind of sense of living hope and expectancy in my own. It has to come as a gift from God. And he wants to give that to me. Not only does he want to give it to me, he wants us to give it to others. We are so excited about what we believe Jesus wants to do in our city that we're going to expect that as we put on our block party, as we participate in Hope 253, you've got a little flyer on, the, on, on that, that we're expecting that we'll be able to share some of this inexpressible joy with other people as well. Do you believe with me that there are people who really have lost a sense of hope? Less, sounds like I was a, a, quite a few years ago. I had lost the sense of expectancy. I didn't know why I was getting up in the morning anymore. Do you believe there are people like that or just going through the motions? Everything's about their to-do list. Everything's about the, their pleasures. Everything about them. So do I. So I'm asking you to pray with a sense of expectancy also. That we're going to believe that God is going to, allow, going to work in our city. Maybe he needs to work in your life today. Maybe you've never, you've lost that sense of the, of the God birthing something fresh in you. And you just need to pray, God, I may not feel it today. I might have lost this sense of hopeful expectancy. But I am going to trust that you'll give it to me because I cannot seem to generate it in myself. But this world needs Jesus. This world needs a sense of hope. And we're just going to believe together that this, this couple things that we're doing, that God will work. And that some of you might want to participate. And you'll find great joy in being able to share and pour out into someone else in our community. And what, imagine if you were able to talk to somebody and say, let me tell you about Jesus. If you have that opportunity, there's nothing in this world that's more exciting to, to talk to somebody and say, let me tell you about this Jesus I know. That will put uh, adrenaline in your, in your veins. That will be the biggest caffeine rush of your life. Um, more than a, a quadruple shop at Starbucks is when you win, you talk to somebody about Jesus. Would you pray with me? I've been praying for you, many of you by name, this week. Not because you're my project or there's anything wrong with you. It's just I'm praying for you because I love you. And I want to see God work in your life. I believe God is wanting to generate a sense of expectancy that supersedes the things that this world gives you. That nothing, nothing will keep that sense of hope and sense of this excitement expectancy that God wants to generate in you.